So full nerd glasses on right now. <laughs> I gave in and I decided to rewatch Avengers Endgame once again. And I'm still in awe of how they gave the original six Avengers their time to shine. And to be honest, nothing is about to stop me from going into incredibly descriptive detail about their individual story arcs. Because, you know, I love mythology. I love storytelling. So this, this, this episode doesn't even have a message behind it. This is literally me just nerding out for however fucking long I feel like. Let's light up and dive in. I just been riding on the low. That was a good talk. All right. <clears throat> so, we're going to start our exploration into the individual character arcs of the Avengers by starting with everyone's favorite bow and arrow guy, Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. That's who we start the film with. We start the film with Clint Barton, a.k.a. Hawkeye. Absent from Infinity War, Clint was on house arrest due to his actions against the Soviet uh, Sokovia Accords and Civil War, 2016. We watch in real time the effects of Thanos' snap on Clint's family farm, and it's instant. Clint has been looking forward to retirement, and he seems at peace with his preferred mundane life. Peacefully enjoying a picnic with his family and kids, and then all of a sudden, they're fucking dusted out of nowhere. You go from teaching your daughter how to fucking shoot a bow and arrow. Your son wants mustard and fucking mayo on his hot dog. Mayo? Really? Okay. All right. Soup and hot dogs. I guess that's a, a picnic thing. And then out of nowhere, boom, they're gone. He's alone. He's confused. After this loss, he begins his dissension into darkness and returns to his roots as an assassin because we forget a lot that Hawkeye was actually an assassin. Like he was in the first Thor movie. Um, he was in there for literally like maybe 45 seconds. And the only reason you knew it was him is because he was using a bow and arrow. But yeah, he was about to like take Thor out. It wasn't going to do shit because this is the God of Thunder and you shooting a fucking bow and arrow, regardless if it's a trick bow and arrow or not. Come on, Clint. Hit you with the T'Challa shit. I don't care. <laughs> but yeah so seeing that half of the world is gone but it's still populated with killers and drug lords he's angered that his family was taken but there's still criminals left behind committing crime and shit he seeks brutal vengeance as Ronan and he's noticeably in the anger stage of grief when he's made aware that his family can come back he gets the smallest glimmer of hope and suits up once again as Hawkeye. Arriving at Vormir and faced with the option to sacrifice something he loves for the Soul Stone, 
he fights Black Widow to a standstill to redeem himself for his actions after the snap. So even though he has this glimmer of hope of getting his family back, this is how you know he's truly accepted being a hero again, because he looks at the price of getting his family back. Sacrifice that with which you love. He's like, fuck it. I'm up here with my homegirl, Natasha. We got mad love for each other. So let me do her and my family a solid by jumping off this motherfucking cliff and getting the soul stones so they can come back. That's what he was about to do. You know, they fought each other to a fucking standstill. But big spoiler alert, spoiler alert, one, two, three. If you've seen the movie, you know, it didn't go that way. It's only after Black Widow tells him to let go. And he witnessed her sacrifice that he fully commits himself to being a hero once again and honoring her sacrifice by bringing back everyone that was lost. Clint is a man that is defined by his adaptiveness. He has a foot in both worlds. You know what I'm saying? Uh, He literally lives the superhero life and then he goes home and has a mundane family life. Like he works on his fucking dining room. He's a carpenter. You know what I'm saying? He does what must be done as a superhero so that he can come back to the life that he built for himself as uh, with his family. To always be called the most useless Avenger, he he's actually what keeps them grounded in the real world. His simple farm family life being a metaphor for everything that the Avengers are fighting to protect. If you remember from Age of Ultron, you know, they go to Clint's house where they're hiding out his family farm. They didn't even know he had a fucking, well, only Natasha knew he had a fucking family. And then Nick Fury pops up. He was just hanging around and shit after Winter Soldier. And, you know what I'm saying? It's like, what are we fighting for? This right here. This. This house. You know what I'm saying? This dinner that Miss Barton made. These kids and they Legos that Thor keeps stepping on. You know what I'm saying? We fighting for this. We try and get right. Come on now. <clears throat> so next up, <laughs> we have Dr. Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Incredible Motherfucking Hulk slash Professor Hulk. Bruce's arc has been being told across the span of the MCU. Bruce is one of those characters, much like Hawkeye. He had his own movie, but... The Hulk works better when he's alongside other characters. A Hulk movie by itself can be stale. Um, But the culmination of which has done off screen in Endgame. He's had a lot of character development, but his biggest amount of development was done off screen for Endgame, which is totally fine. Like I said, a a solo Hulk movie can get a little boring. Bruce Banner has been battling the Hulk persona for years, in his own words, has always seen the Hulk as a curse or means to an end. Uh, In Infinity War, as we all saw, after suffering an emasculating defeat at the hands of Thanos in the first five minutes of the bitch. First five minutes. Sit down, nigga. Fuck. Thanos is coming. Thanos is coming. Yeah, Thanos is coming and the Hulk is not, nigga. You better put on that buster suit. Buster. That's what the fuck happened to him. The Hulk retreats and uh, outright refuses to come out anymore. Bruce himself still feels the need to stand with his fellow Avengers, but instead of relying on his anger and strength as the Hulk, he relies on his intelligence and his mind as Banner. Coming up with the idea to remove the Mind Stone from Vision, uh, Vision without killing him. That was smart. Good job. You tried. Good effort. Um, even during the battle in Wakanda. Forever. I'm sorry, got to do it. Wakanda. Anytime you say Wakanda, you got to say forever. Can't just sit. 
So you know what my ethnicity is. Though suited in the Hulkbuster armor, he was no match for the brute force of Black Dwarf, Thanos' Hulk-like henchman. It wasn't until he used his intelligence to outwit him that then he prevailed. In Endgame, after realizing that the stones were destroyed and there was no immediate way to reverse the snap, Bruce resided to his lab for 18 months to work out his personal issues. Feeling defeated as the Hulk and defeated as Banner, he had the epiphany that he needed to treat the Hulk as a part of him and not just the other guy. During most of the movie, we see Professor Hulk, the strength of the Hulk with the mind of Bruce Banner. And instead of being used for his physical power, we see him used for his mind power. You know, when Tony Stark doesn't want to get involved in the time travel thing, they immediately go to Bruce Banner, where he's sitting at a breakfast shop in Manhattan, eating like 30 pounds of fucking eggs, wearing a sweater and glasses. Like, what the f- Who makes? I know there's big and tall stores, but the Hulk is at least eight feet tall and still a good like what? Fifteen hundred pounds. Either way. Okay, anyway. (laughs) So yeah, helping to figure out time travel, reasoning with the Ancient One, and realizing that the gamma radiation that created him was the same energy coming from the stones, which was a stroke of genius. That That was a very small Easter egg put in there from the first Avengers, because that's why Nick Fury wanted to bring Bruce Banner, not the Hulk, but bring Bruce Banner on the team. Because the Tesseract and the Infinity Stones like it were giving off large amounts of gamma radiation. So when Hulk steps up to put on the Infinity Gauntlet and it says it's like, it's like I was made for this. Yeah, you were. That's awesome storytelling. Feige and Marcus and McFeely and Joss Whedon and the Russo brothers. Like you guys told an amazing, cohesive fucking story. Goddamn. So that made him the only one who could withstand reversing the snap and living, saving trillions, trillion with a TR of trillions of lives without having a smash a single thing. Banner's art represents what happens when we make peace with ourselves for the inner demons we all have. Once he accepted that the Hulk was a part of him, he was no longer in constant battle to contain the beast. You know, he became a true hero after that. Maybe not as powerful in the same way that the Incredible Hulk is, but offering a new form of power as Professor Hulk. Which is dope. Moving on. Next Avenger up. Hey, if we're talking about the Hulk, we got to talk about his uh, his jaw. Nah, we're we not going to lowball. We're not going to play her like that. She's not the Hulk's jaw. <clears throat> Super assassin, red room graduate, baddest bitch on the planet, Natasha Romanoff, aka the Black Widows. Natasha has also had her art told throughout the MCU as early as Iron Man 2. Black Widow been around. She starts out as a very stoic, amoral spy assassin that has no qualms with straddling the line between right and wrong. She has killed. And not always for a righteous reason. It is until Captain America, the Winter Soldier, 2014, that we see her question the line of work that she's in. Ever since the revelation, uh, ever since the revelation 
that shield was infiltrated by hydra her sole mission has been to right the wrongs she herself has been witness to she decides with tony in the sokovia accords to keep the avengers together but still protects cap because she trusts his judgment and subsequently goes underground with him and falcon to fight for what's right not just what's the law in Endgame, we see Natasha still actively trying to keep peace in the world. It's the only thing she's got. You know what I'm saying? This is a woman that literally didn't know her father's name, that was taken as a child, put into a Red Room program, which basically trains little girls to become assassins. They took away her ability to give birth. They made her barren and told her your only job is to murder. You don't have a life. You are who we tell that, that's where she's coming from. Now she gets this. In her words, she gets this job, this family. It's a very cohesive family uh, narrative they're telling her. So, yeah, she's actively trying to keep peace in the world. She's coordinating with Rocket, Nebula, uh, Danvers, Okoye, and Rhodey and requesting to be notified uh, if there's any injustices that need to be fought. Still seeking to wipe the red out of her ledger, as is famously said about her. Natasha was taken as a child, trained as a killer, and even had the ability to have children taken from her. By all means, the Avengers are her only idea of a family. So we see her doing everything she can to keep them together and bring them back. Natasha is in the bargaining stage of grief. And is willing to do whatever it takes to restore those who are lost due to the snap. A person that started out as a spy and an assassin, her only instinct was survival. But as we arrive at Vormir and face with the option to sacrifice what she loves for the soul stone, her only thought is to give herself so that everyone else can live. Her journey has been about redemption. And relying on the good in herself instead of the bad that she received as a child. Natasha is the linchpin that held the Avengers together. And with her self-sacrifice, finally wiped all the red out of her ledger. And even more so. She gave the team something to avenge. Natasha is dope, man. Appreciate you. I appreciate you, Natasha. Moving on, we got your boy, Lord of Thunder, a.k.a. Sparkles, the Odinson, Thor. We've made it to the MCU's big three. They have the most going on, so I saved them for last, of course. And Thor has more going on than anyone, to be honest. He's matured from the arrogant, hot-headed Thor we met earlier in the MCU. By far, Thor has been through the most. Death of his mother and father, loss of his hammer, finding out he has a sister and that she wants to kill him, having to destroy his home Asgard to stop her, and then once he thinks the hardest part is done, Thanos arrives shortly after, kills half of his people, his best friend Heimdall, his brother Loki, whom he finally, finally began to reconnect with, all in front of him. Thor's entire mission in Infinity War is revenge on Thanos, and more than anyone else, he nearly gets it. 
but because he took a second to boast. He's a god. This is what he does. He's cocky. That that old Thor from Thor one. It reared its head. And he didn't go for the head. <laughs> he inadvertently gave Thanos enough time to snap away half of all living things. Everyone lost. But Thor lost on a personal level. He could have saved everyone. But he failed. It's like that. Um, It's like that dream sequence he had in Age of Ultron. When Scarlet Witch put him in a trance and Heimdall was like, you're a destroyer. Odinson. It was kind of his fault. He's over 1,500 years old. I could have just said 1,500, but I said 1,500. And has never truly known defeat until that very moment. When the Avengers storm onto Thanos' garden and discover that he's destroyed the stones, Thor just off that nigga. Just... Jason on his ass swiftly cuts his head the fuck off like a goddamn guillotine. And thus begins his descent into depression. He's in the depression stage of grief. And for nearly the entire movie, he is in that stage. After the five year time jump, we see a very different Thor. Drunken and overweight. Sorry, Travi was throwing me off a bit. I fuck with Young Flame, but he wasn't where I needed to be. <clears throat> so yeah, after the five-year time jump, we see a very different Thor. Drunken and overweight and shit. He's fat, sloppy, looks like melted ice cream. Ha ha, good gag, playing Fortnite. Korg is here. That's kind of dope. Nice shirt. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Though this is played for laughs throughout the movie, it's by no stretch unrealistic. He's been draining his pain, regret, and self-hatred in alcohol and food, something that we can all say we've done at one point or another. It's a little jarring because Thor is the god of thunder, yet he's displaying very human emotions. That's kind of uh, Thor's character arc as well. He was this benevolent, well not benevolent, he was this arrogant god, and over his time of being an Avenger, he's become more human. You know? He started out as an arrogant god who saw humans as petty and tiny, but after fighting at our side and living among us, he's essentially become more human himself. Like, as his mother told him, everyone fails at who they're supposed to be, but the true measure of a person is by succeeding at who they are. A concept that Thor doesn't fully realize until he reaches his hand out and calls for his hammer, Mjolnir. Once his hammer returns to him, he finally sees that even though he's no longer the Thor he once was, he is nonetheless still worthy. That is very potent. That's very powerful. Regardless of how much you don't feel like you are where you should be, no matter how depressed you feel, no matter how useless, worthless you feel, how much regret you're filled with, no matter how much pain you have inside, Admit that to yourself, map out ways to work on it, but the first thing you have to do is understand you are worthy of better. You are worthy of love. You're worthy of success. You're worthy of happiness. 
That was a very powerful message, and I really appreciate them for doing that with a character like Thor. And like Chris Hemsworth is just dope for, you know, wanting to take that character to that level because he could always just look like the, you know, look like the fucking statue that he is. But you actually did something with a psychological and emotional aspect of the character that enhances the storytelling. And instead of being who everyone thinks he should be, he finds relief in finally being able to be who he is. This is why he humbly gives the throne of New Asgard to Valkyrie and joins his new friends, the Guardians of the Galaxy. Thor has learned that being a king isn't all it's cracked up to be. Being a good man has limitless potential. And he totally looks like the dude. All right. Here we go. Next up, Anthony Tony Stark, the Iron Man. Truly, and all praise be to Robert Downey Jr. Shout out Robert Downey Sr. too. Shit, you know, take take a shot for Robert Downey Jr. He can't. We have to take this shot for him because he can't. We respect that. <clears throat> He's going to take this hit, too, because he can't. We respect that. Truly the godfather of the MCU as we know it today, Tony has been given the most full circle arcs of any character ever put on the big screen. I'm saying it right here. I just said it. That's not an exaggeration. Throughout his trilogy, all of Tony's villains are pretty much created by him, his ego, or his family legacy. Even with good intentions, he created Ultron, who nearly caused a massive level extinction. After going through that wormhole in the first Avengers in 2012, he's been plagued with nightmares of an invasion from space, and it's led him to constantly keep trying to be proactive instead of reactive. Famous line, I see a suit of armor around the world. As he said in Age of Ultron, after the defeat, he suffered an infinity war, watching Peter Parker fade to dust in his fucking arms. I almost feel something. He didn't do all that, but that's how I was. That's how I interpreted Spider-Man in my mind. It hurts, Mr. Stark. Oh. Tony's worst fears came true. All his friends had died, but he was still alive. That's his worst fear. Tony Stark has survivor's guilt. This is a man that used to sell weapons. The reason that we had Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch was because Tony Stark's weapons hit their fucking house and they were trapped with a missile. Worsening his PTSD, facing death in the dark reaches of space, we find Tony in Endgame ready to finally let go on life and go peacefully in his sleep. Luckily, he's saved by Captain Marvel. Big ups. That was, yo, I would literally, good looks. <laughs> you know what I'm Coming back to Earth, he's still angry with Cap, obviously. Now he's all like half, like he's lost like mad weight. He's inebriated and shit. 
He ain't shaved. He thought Rocket was a fucking Build-A-Bear. He's mad at Cap for their fallout in Civil War. And his first words as he's getting off the ship are, I lost the kid. Referring to Spider-Man. Showing that even with a second chance at life, he's experiencing a tremendous amount of survivor's guilt. The only silver lining is that his love, Pepper Potts, is still alive. You lucky son of a bitch. Wanda literally had to watch. She had to kill Vision one time, then watch him die two times, then she died with him. Tony Stark, damn. (laughs) This nigga got stabbed on a different fucking planet. (laughs) They threw a moon at him on a different fucking planet. This nigga watched everybody die on a different fucking planet. And then drifted through space for like three weeks. <laughs> and then you come back to Earth. And yeah, my girl, my wife's still here. Cool. Lit. Lit. Yes. Happy Hogan is dead. He's gone. But Pepper's still here. <laughs> Spider-Man's gone. But Pepper's here. Oh, yeah. In the five-year time gap, though, <laughs> Tony and Pepper, they reside to a farm. Uh, they reside to a farm. Much like Hawkeye's farm. And they start a family. He's officially done being a fighter, done being Iron Man. When approached with the idea of time travel, Tony is immediately opposed to the idea because he has found peace and comfort in his wife and his daughter. He's got a fucking daughter, Morgan. Oh my God, she's so fucking adorable. You already know what's coming up. (laughs) It's not until seeing a picture that he took with Peter his first, his that was his first surrogate child. Well, not actually his first surrogate child. His first surrogate child, big spoiler alert, at the funeral you see is the kid from Iron Man 3. But Peter was the one that, you know, Peter was the, the prodigy. You know what I'm saying? <clears throat> he realizes that he's lost just as much as everyone else, and he has to do whatever he can to bring him back. Tony has always fought for himself, but now after becoming a father, he feels the need to fight for the future. His point is driven home when he sees Steve and they go back in time and he finally gets to have a man to man conversation with his own father, Howard motherfucking Stark. God damn. John Slattery, you son of a bitch. Shout out my boy Jarvis. After hearing that Howard would do anything for his kid, Tony finally gets that closure he needs with his father and is ready to go do whatever he needs to do for Morgan. During the final battle, Tony asks Dr. Strange if this is the 1 in 14 million chance that Strange saw them winning back in Infinity War against Thanos. And his reply is that if he told him, it wouldn't fucking happen cold. I would be nervous. When Thanos gets his hands on the gauntlet, all looks lost. Till Tony looks at Doctor Strange. You gotta gotta watch this. He looks at Doctor Strange and he sees him staring at Tony while holding up one finger. And you know, I like the attention to detail they put on it. You know, Doctor Strange got into a car accident. He like broke his hands and shit so he can't keep his hands steady. So when you look at his fingers, like his finger is shaking. Because, you know what I'm saying? It's just, shout out Benedict Cumberbatch. That was dope acting. 
that one little finger shake. That was the dopest acting ever. So at this point, uh, at this point, Tony knows the only way they'll win this battle is if Tony gets the stones and does the snap him fucking self. Knowing that it will kill him, he'd much rather that than letting Thanos snap everyone away a fucking again, but including his fucking daughter this time. Nope. It's over now. 112. Going from the selfish, reckless showboat to the literal savior of the entire universe. He finally proved Steve wrong and became the guy that was willing to make the sacrifice play as uttered back in the first Avengers movie. In his last moments, he's in comfort of his best friend, Rhodey, his protege, Peter, and his love, Pepper. He's finally able to rest knowing that he did all that he could. Tony Stark truly died in that Middle Eastern cave in 2008. Let's be real. He was supposed to die in that cave in 2008. And with the snap of his fingers, he gave life back to the universe by truly being Iron Man. And that's why we love him 3000. You're right, Two Chains. That is a vibe. Still here? Congrats, you made it all the way to the end. Oh, hold on. We've got one more person. <laughs> you know if I just did Tony Stark and I got one more person left, you know who the fuck it is, right? Can you guess? Take a loud guess. And lastly, but most certainly not least, Steve... Roger. I ain't even peeped that. The shit. <laughs> so you can tell I'm new on motherfucking anchor because the shit just stopped recording on me as I was still pretty much riding Captain America's tip. So this is part two of episode two. Can we do that? Is that something we can do? Part part two of episode two as I finish up. Anyway, where the fuck was I? Steve is the only one that looks like he really poses no threat to Thanos. So um now I gotta take a hit because that just threw me all the fuck off. Do you want to boss up or just say shit? Pretty little joint and she gets things lit. Baby got a Okay, we've seen what Tony's armor can do. We've seen what Thor and Stormbreaking can do. But Steve is just a man though, right? What could he possibly do? With Tony knocked out and Thor in danger of being killed, we see Mjolnir begin to move. After lifting off and smashing into Thanos, it quickly flies back and falls into the hands of Steve motherfucking Rogers. Brooklyn. Woo. Brooklyn. What, what? Yeah. You know the vibes, Brooklyn. We go hunt. We go hunt. Anyway, and now vice versa steve proves tony wrong when tony said newsflash rogers everything special about you came out of a bottle not only is steve special but he's worthy of the power of the gods 
With everyone out of commission, Steve proceeds to hold his ground against Thanos. Once Thanos gains the upper hand and manages to knock the hammer out of Steve's hand, and most notably, breaks Captain America's seemingly indestructible shield. It's now a beaten and broken Steve versus a bloodthirsty Thanos in an alien army of literally thousands, nigga, like thousands and hundreds and millions of thousands and shit, bro. Facing insurmountable odds and no chance of victory, Steve still finds the courage to pick himself up, tighten up his little straps on his broken shield, and fight till he can no longer fight. It's been said a dozen times, but he honestly can do this all day. But before he has to, he gets greeted by his buddy Sam Wilson. Come through on your left. And out of a Doctor Strange portal walks Black Panther, a Wakandan army, the Guardians, Spider-Man, Masters of the Mystic Arts, Ravagers, the Wasp, Doctor Strange, Bucky, Brooklyn, and all the other heroes. Witnessing that Steve was ready to fight and give his life to hold the line, they all stand behind him and wait on his word to assemble. Steve brings out the best in everyone around him and inspires them to give their all to something bigger than themselves. He's not the most powerful on the battlefield by far, but he exudes leadership, honor, and courage by never staying down and giving everything he has to to get the job done. After the battle is won, the responsibility falls to Steve to return to Stone's back and even more dangerous journey than the battle they just had. You're putting Infinity Stones back at different points in time. You're holding the most powerful things in the universe and you're time traveling. And Captain America, a dude from the fucking 40s, is tasked with doing that. And quite possibly the best send off a hero character can ever get. He completes his mission, restores the stones, but decides that he's finally earned some much needed rest and relaxation. He stays back in the 40s with Peggy Carter and he finally gets that dance that he missed out on all those years ago. I'm tearing up as I'm, I'm tearing up as I'm thinking about it. It was so fucking beautiful. So fucking, fucking beautiful. Everyone expected Captain America to die in this movie, but to be honest, that would be a lackluster ending. Steve doesn't fear death. He willingly threw himself onto a grenade to save a few people. You don't reward a good man with death. You reward a good man with a good life. And that concludes our in-depth analysis of the original six Avengers from the start of their films to where they left off in Endgame. If you've made it all the way through to the second part of the second episode, congratulations. I appreciate you. Um, if not, hey, it's here when you get back. Um, just had to nerd out with you motherfuckers real quick. High as hell. You know what I'm saying? Looking out my window, it's a little drippy out there. It's whatever. It's a nice Fairville night. So I'd like to thank you for stopping into the Fayetteville, where we always chilling.